Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Satchin Adam Show for episode 48. And me and Adam were just talking about that we're almost at 50, which is a bit of a milestone. But today we have someone that we've been, has been an inspiration for us in starting this podcast and is probably used to being on the other side of the mic. So it's nice to see you on this side of the mic, um, Rohit. Um, but I'll get Adam to introduce you. Yeah. So super exciting guest today. I'll say that um, Rohit has probably one of the best podcasts in business in Australia, if not the best. Yeah. So he heads the Startup Playbook podcast, which at times I've listened to very religiously. And he interviews founders and venture capitalists and sort of breaks down um, why they sort of do what they do, the businesses they run and how they build them. Um, so it's a fascinating podcast. He's done 140 odd uh, podcasts so far. And as well as doing that, he's working for Amazon Web Services and he's got a playbook media company where he sort of does interactions with other VCs, entrepreneurs, and he's had a bunch of startups. So he's a very, very active figure. And, and I think that something that we forgot to mention is that he's a really fast runner as well. So I follow you on Instagram <laughs> and I'm, some of your 10Ks, you're doing like 430Ks. I'm like, Jesus, must, must have a meeting to get to, get back to. <laughs> yeah, it's trying to trying to squeeze everything in, especially um, especially when you know you've got the hour long restrictions that we did have during lockdown. Uh, yeah, yeah, which which definitely helped. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th time. thanks so much for the warm intro, guys, and thanks for having me on. And congratulations on almost getting to fifty episodes as well. That's that's a huge milestone. Thank you. Um, so Rohit, something we like to ask our guests at the moment is, what's a story or anecdote that you can share that kind of makes you who you are? Oh, um, that's a really, really good question to start off with. Um, I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's like a particular anecdote or story, uh, because I think, you know, looking back, everything kind of helps shape, uh, where you sort of end up. But I think, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things that has been, that has really helped shape who I am is, uh, just having, um, decided to quit my job and start a company. And it not going the way that uh, we had, uh, you know, some great traction and, um, you know, a lot of great press, uh, the business itself really struggled to scale um, and really kind of struggled to, to get off the ground to, to where we really wanted. And, um, you know, I think it's a very, uh, I think a lot of the time we kind of look at, look at success or failure as very sort of black and white, but a lot of the time it's just such a, um, such a, deep learning experience for you from so many different perspectives absolutely humbling uh teaches you a lot of different things about uh about yourself in terms of what you're good at and probably the 98 percent of things that you're not that great at um but yeah uh, I, I think the the biggest thing for me was um you know having gone through that sort of first experience with stage label um and writing some of the highs and lows and just really getting to better understand myself and where i sit and some of my strengths and weaknesses um, I highly encourage everyone, um, you know, I, I think that starting businesses aren't necessarily for everyone, but I, you know, if anyone can go through that experience, um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I just, for me personally, like, I think it's really helped shape how I think about things in the future. Hmm. Maybe just diving into that a bit, um, deeply. So what were maybe some of the lessons that you found from having that startup and why did you sort of struggle to scale it? So, um, in terms of functionally, the, the business model itself, um, you know, we were really good at getting the business up to a particular point. So I should explain the business a yeah. little bit. So, uh, the, the business was called stage label. Um, it was a crowdfunding for fashion platform. The whole concept was, um, to help fashion designers run better businesses. Um, so we knew that designers create, you know, somewhere between, 
uh, around four collections a year, somewhere between 15 to 20 items per collection. But um, being creatives and being business owners, they assumed that everything that they would create would sell out equally. And so what they would do would distribute the revenue that they had across their entire collection um, and hope that they sold enough. Um, and what you often found was that there were only a couple of pieces that would actually sell really well. And a lot of the stock would just remain as dead stock that they can't really move or they would have to sell on really, really dis discounted rates which cheapens their brand. So what we wanted to do was, you know, use data to help them um, better understand how they should be, um, what items from their collections were going to be more likely to be successful pre-production by helping them take in pre-orders. That's where kind of the crowdfunding element came in. Um, and we, you know, we, um, by some accounts, we had some success. So we, you know, had 150 different brands that we were working with globally. We were one of Uber's first partners in Australia, doing our own runway shows in Melbourne Spring Fashion Week. We were named as one of the top 10 startups to watch in 2014, alongside Canva and Pocketbook and a lot of other companies that we had no business being on the list with. But, um, you know, functionally, the business itself was, was really sort of struggling to, to kind of take off. And so um, there's kind of the, the functional element that you learn about business and, you know, translating just because you have great PR and great press doesn't necessarily mean that, um, you know, the business at its core is, is a great business. But I think it also teaches you a lot of different things. There's no, unfortunately, um, you know, there's no real university degree to kind of teach you how to be an actual leader um, or how to make decisions when, when things get really tough or, or teach you the actual kind of functional side of things. And so I think it's just, it just really forces uh, you to be thrown into the deep end and, and really kind of understand things and learn things like the rate of growth, uh, the rate of learning and growth that you can get from starting your own business is absolutely incredible. Um, and, you know, personally as well, it teaches you a lot of things. Like I think, um, you know, especially when you're sort of young, um, you kind of have this, uh, you know, have this impression that you're, you know, indestructible and, um, you know, that, that, uh, that you can do everything and, and you can, but, um, you know, sometimes you kind of just need that, um, need, a, need a bit of that reality to kind of hit in as well, um, just to help you kind of balance out, out the two. Um, but I think, uh, you know, one of the most important things, and I've spoken to a couple of other founders about this as well, is like, I think it's really important to be naive at the start. If you knew how difficult it is, like no one would start a business. Um, so I think it, it's really important to kind of maintain that. But um, I think over time, you just learn, um, you just learn things about yourselves and learn things about other things as well. Like not all opportunities are created equal and not opportunities are right for each specific founder. Um, and we were talking a little bit about investing before we kind of turned on the microphones as well. And I think a lot of, um, from the investing side of things, a lot of the things that you're looking for isn't necessarily a great idea. It's like, does this founder fit the particular problem that they're trying to address? Um, is there like a founder, founder problem fit um, in that sense? So similar things like, and I think those are just things that you don't even comprehend or sort of understand and learn until you go through that process yourself. Yeah, and I can imagine that having that experience also has given you more empathy for founders compared to someone that may come from like a financial services background, but they've never been kind of in the trenches, so to speak, and had that disappointment and had that kind of extreme stress, which I imagine has been really useful. Uh, Rohit, before we kind of dive more into your podcast, um, where did your kind of um, inclination towards business or fascination um, with it come from? Um, to be honest, I didn't really know where it came from for a very long time. I... Growing up, all I wanted to do was play cricket professionally. Um, and that particular dream didn't quite work out, didn't quite pan out the way that I wanted. But um, yeah, business wasn't really something that we kind of spoke about 
um, at home. And it wasn't really something that, you know, anyone really seriously considered as a career, especially in the circles where that I grew up. Um, but that being said, you know, my mom, um, especially was very, like I would describe her as being very entrepreneurial. She was always, um, you know, very creative and creating things. And I remember going with her to stalls where she would, um, try and sell all of these, um, products that she'd sort of handmade and just looking at interacting with that. Like, I, I think, um, I sort of picked up a lot of lessons from her from that process but also looking back uh you know i realized that a lot of the things that i was doing in high school um probably were entrepreneurial i just didn't know that that was the thing at the time i literally just wanted enough money that um, i could go to the movies and buy some food without having to bug my parents for money um it wasn't necessarily me trying to make um you know thousands of millions of millions of dollars it was just um trying to get enough money to get pocket change to to go and do what i wanted to do um so i think it was it's always kind of been in the background, but I just never knew that this was something that I could really pursue and do or like do as a career. And so after university, you pretty much jumped in almost straight into entrepreneurship with staged label. Did you ever have some sort of motivation to go down like a more sort of linear um, a standard path that a lot of really smart people do like consulting or say banking? Um, I see you also did engineering, so maybe engineering. Like, you, you just jump straight into entrepreneurship. Consulting and banking, only two jobs. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we hear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you speak to Indian parents and it's, you know, you're practically an engineer or a doctor. Or yeah. That's it. yeah. Um, it's very similar. I, um, so I did actually work at an engineering company for mm. about two years. Um, you know, I kind of tempted my parents with me sort of following what, what they wanted me to do for, for a little while anyways. Um, so I did do it, but I knew very quickly that it wasn't really what I wanted to do long-term. And, um, yeah, trying to have a uh, discussion with the Indian parents that you're going to quit your engineering job to start a fashion tech business is always a fun conversation to have. But <laughs> I, I wish that I had, I wish that I'd recorded that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, my, my parents have always been very supportive and very understanding. Like, I think a lot of the time, um, a lot of those things sort of come from a place of love and caring and, and not wanting you to sort of struggle. So, I uh, actually managed to uh, negotiate uh, an arrangement with them that uh, for them, if I stayed around for two years, uh, they would pretty much just let me do what I wanted to do. Um, but for, from their perspective, as long as I had something on my resume that I could point to, uh, if things went, went terribly, um, I could sort of always come back to and, and lean on. Uh, and for me, honestly, like having the, the additional time was a great thing. So instead of kind of jumping in straight away, was able to develop a bit more of a, a piggy bank to, to lean on and also um, just gave me more time to focus on validating the, the business and um, putting the pieces in place so that when I was ready to go, um, I wasn't just starting at zero. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can definitely relate to that Indian parent conversation. Um, yeah. And so Rohit, the startup playbook has obviously, it has three different forms, right? You have your podcast, yeah, Playbook Media, and then recently, your yeah, Playbook Ventures. How did you get into the podcast? And what was your motivation for originally starting it? Uh, so, yeah, the podcast started uh, after my first business. And, uh, you know, it was really tailored towards being focused at that time where I, I've always been very fortunate. And I think that's probably where the podcast kind of started was, uh, just having a lot of mentors or people in the space, as I'm sure you guys have found, that are willing to uh, sit down and have a coffee and kind of um, act as mentors or kind of share their learnings or just um, be sort of asked questions. Um, 
And I, I started to realize like at that time, so this is probably about uh, five years ago now, uh, you know, there were a lot more people that were coming into the space. So like the startup spaces being built up, there was a lot more hype and interest. And, you know, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but people uh, who hadn't run a business before, but were coming from corporate, were trying to come down and give their guidance um, uh, companies. And they weren't necessarily things that, you know, having run my own business that I necessarily agreed with or a lot of the people around me um, sort of agreed with as well. And so the whole premise of the show was there are all of these amazing uh, founders, investors, um, people that have done incredible things that have a wealth of knowledge to share with the next generation of startup founders who either these founders don't know that they exist, don't have access to them, don't know what questions to ask. Um, so literally it was just a, uh, I'm just going to find these people and start conversations with them. And hopefully, um, you know, if someone's ever, uh, if someone ever finds the podcast, I didn't think anyone would ever listen to the show. So if someone ever finds this podcast or if I'm in a coffee conversation, I could point to someone much smarter and more experienced than me if they had specific questions around fundraising or, you know, launching a marketplace or, or those sorts of things. Um, and that was essentially kind of the premise of the show. I didn't really think too much about it. It was just meant to be a collection of uh, just interviews from people that were speaking from actual practical experience rather than things that they read in a book or read online. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is a good time to mention some of the guests you've actually had on because so we, ones. I think that our audience probably don't know, but people like Malcolm Turnbull, um, Carol Henderson, the co-founder of Slack, um, you've had the co-founder of Seek and co-founder of Square Peg Capital. So some absolutely Big huge names. names. Yeah. And I mean, over 140 podcasts um, over four or so years, you must have learned a lot. Like, do you, do you sort of look back and have some sort of key learnings? Um, and it, it's a difficult question, but like, what do you think that you've sort of gained out of it yourself personally? Yeah, um, so key learning. So, I mean, this is where I think, uh, you know, and I'm curious to know how you guys perceive this as podcast hosts as well. But, you know, the podcast for me is I'm learning as much as the people that are listening to the show. Um, yeah. I'm genuinely curious to understand how these people have sort of built their businesses and what are particular approaches that they took or processes that they followed, um, what are decisions that they made and whether they worked out or not. Um, and so for me, like every single episode is a learning opportunity to learn from just people that have built incredible things. Um, I, uh, yeah, I don't think that there's necessarily one, one big takeaway. I think more broadly, uh, you know, everyone you kind of learn very quickly that no one really knows what they're doing and everyone's trying to figure it out i think it's really easy you know i, I kind of touched on um touched on my experience with stage label where from the outside looking in everyone thought that the business was amazing and that we were sort of killing it but on the inside you know everything was on fire um and that is often the case with with many many companies and so uh, i think one of the big things that i have learned from this from this experience is that um you know even though from the outside looking in, um, you know, it can look like some companies have it easy or some founders have it easy and kind of things were uh, a lot easier. Um, everyone goes through this journey. Everyone goes through moments of doubt. Um, everyone goes through a very similar process. We just tend to sort of internalize that and think that um, they are the only ones going, going through that particular process as well. So for me personally, that was probably the, the bigger thing, but in terms of, um, in terms of like actual practical things about business or, or those sorts of things, um, you know, I, I think personally, I just take something away from each episode. Cool. Yeah. And I think that's like something we've come across a lot. And I think it's one yeah. of the most powerful realizations you can have as a young adult in your life that all these people that we can sometimes put on a pedestal aren't that different to us. 
yeah. and that every other level of life has another devil to it. Like even if these people are worth billions of dollars, I'm sure they still have their own internal struggles and things that they worry about, which I think becomes quite powerful. Yeah, and I think similar to you, we realized very early on that a lot of people, incredible smart people, it's sort of like they're making it up as they go. Like they sort of didn't have this like long-term career tra trajectory but they'll like meet someone for a coffee and that would lead to them becoming like the CEO of a company or they'll just like meet someone late at night and they'll like co-found yeah. a company. Um, and it like, it's crazy sort of seeing that, like these are like, we've met so many smart people in big positions and that's. And, and also like, I think consistent. as you said, a lot of them didn't plan for what happened next. A lot of them were just open-minded. They took opportunities that came, but I'm like, I think we almost do this too much where we think about our 10 year vision, but it seems mm. like a lot of these people didn't really think about it and they just stayed open. And it just seems like across everything, there's this huge network event. Obviously, um, San Francisco is this used to be, we don't know what's going to happen to it now, but it used to be this um, kind of intense concentration of all these people. And as they network throughout there, all these opportunities seem to arise, um, which is it, interesting that you have, have kind of had a similar insight. Yeah, I, just on that, like, I mean, there's, there's one particular example. So you mentioned Cal Henderson from Slack, um, you know, he and his co-founder originally started a video game, um, which didn't, which unfortunately failed. They then launched that into an, into a startup that got bought by Flickr for, um, sorry, uh, they launched Flickr, which then they ended up selling to Yahoo for $30 million. Then they, they were like, well, we know what we're doing now. We're going to launch the video game again. And the game failed. And they turned that into Slack, which, you know, I think sold for like $20 billion or something recently. Yeah, um, sure. And so again, it's, it's very easy to go, wow, these guys have a track record of having sold multiple businesses and, and those sorts of things. But like, even they went through um, kind of periods where, where they thought that they were onto something, but it wasn't quite the right thing. And um, so that, that's what I would like. I think, especially when you're younger and kind of early in your journey, it's very easy to sort of look at people who have um look at people as like a finished product and think that that's it's always been that way but um everyone's got got a bit of a journey um and i think it's important to sort of recognize that like the state that you're in now is not necessarily the the state that you're going to end Ooh. up in yeah it's all a work in progress and then even on a personal note i think the podcast for us we've learned more doing this podcast and in like all of our university combined like by far yeah. like and not just in terms of like sort of uh, life general life lessons but even like really hard concrete things about investing scaling businesses and venture like we've sort of just realized how remarkable it is that you can jump on a zoom with someone um, and just get these intense learnings and then the networks that come with that are obviously invaluable and we always talk about like a potential uni course where it's every every week you study a different podcast and all the associated readings or whatever and how valuable that would be um as like a course because it's definitely becoming the future of education and it's just amazing that anyone how much is democratized learning because anyone can yeah. jump on listen to like literally the world's top people having a conversation that's almost to them in a certain in a certain way um and yeah i'm excited to see where it goes in the future and so rohit we mentioned some of your guests before like you've had the um you've had literally the former prime minister of australia on your show who's a massive hero to me and adam how did you go about meeting these people and what's like the network effect been like in getting people on your show? Yeah. Uh, so early, early on, uh, you know, it's always really difficult when you don't have uh, data points uh, for people. And so um, very early in the show, I, you know, kind of relied on personal networks or calling in favors uh, to people um, to try and get them to, to come onto the show. 
Um, you know, I was very fortunate that I launched at a time when, you know, again, we were speaking about this when podcasts weren't necessarily popular and there wasn't a whole heap of competition. Uh, and so I think the podcast hit number three on iTunes a couple of days after launching and uh, just having that as a reference point has helped um, just build credibility to the show. And then that has fed into being able to attract better quality guests and better quality guests attract even better quality guests and, and all those sort of things. So um, there's definitely a compounding aspect of that. Um, I'm pretty fortunate that, uh, you know, the podcast has been running for long enough now that I get a lot of inbound requests. So I don't necessarily have to do a lot of outbound for the show, but for someone like Malcolm Turnbull, um, I literally just sent him a cold email and said like, Hey, like I've got this podcast. I'd love to chat um, if oh, you're up for yeah. it. And yeah, and he um, he responded like, again, not everyone does that, but I think um, I was speaking to a friend about this the other day. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, say no on behalf of other people um, where you're going to get a no anyways, but you may as well ask because you don't need everyone to say, to say yes. You just need a few people to, um, you know, and I think that's, that's kind of really been good with the show is just sometimes you just have to be really ballsy and just ask worst case they'll ignore you or they'll say no. But um, if you weren't going to ask, it would be a no anyways. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, I think that that has helped. The other part of it that I really focused on early with the show was um, providing a really great experience to the guests that I had coming on. Uh, a lot of the guests that I have on the show um, like the people that you mentioned, I interviewed multiple times. Um, and this is doing a podcast interview is fairly run of the mill for them. Um, and they have access to like publications that are much, much bigger than mine. Um, but I wanted to ensure that the podcast was unique and different enough that they would want to refer their friends to come on the show as well. So especially early on, um, that was a really big focus to try and get additional guests on the show as I was trying to build up my network as well of um you know just providing such a great experience that um that the people that i had on the show would want to refer their friends uh, and people in their network to come on as well and i'm really curious do you have some favorite guests um like i'm sure you've loved every podcast you've done sort of like us pretty much but are there some that really stick out and resonate with you and i'm wondering if there are like why is that Really hard to say to, it's really hard to say favorites um, just because there are so many and like I'm grateful to to anyone that agrees to to take the time to come on the show um, it's very it is very hard to kind of pick things out I mean one thing that I personally resonated with was um, Justin Dry from Vinamofo I've sp I think I've spoken about him quite a few times but he was guest number three and um, he was the I think he was a really great example of the type of guest that I wanted to get on, but also the type of show that I, that I wanted. He was very transparent and spoke about his journey and the struggle with Vinamofo. So at that time they just raised $20 million. Um, but a lot of the podcast focused on the four year journey that they'd gone on prior. Um, his co-founder at that time was his brother-in-law and his sister would, um, you know, ask him if they would have enough money at Christmas because they had four different versions of the business, none of which really, which really took off. Um, and that's a really hard conversation to have. And these are things that you don't normally hear about in the press. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just something like given my own experiences, I like really resonated with. And it's like, oh, even though like my impression was that it's been kind of plain sailing for these guys and they've obviously got a great business, but um it was a really great example of the journey and, and someone being really open and willing to kind of share a lot of those things, which I think is really important for founders to hear. Um, 
so I think something like that definitely definitely sticks out. But yeah, hard uh, hard for me to choose favorite favorite guess. Mm. Yeah, and um, you mentioned before that you've done some angel investments. Now I'd love to hear about how all these conversations with VCs and other startups have framed your kind of investment philosophy. And do you have like a way in which you dissect businesses and think about how they kind of create value? Uh, so I don't think it's public that I've started angel investing yet. Well, um, no, 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 you're, you're right. I, I, um, I, I can, I'm just very fortunate with, uh, with work and with the podcast that I just get to talk to some, um, talk to quite a few amazing founders uh, on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, the last few years, a lot of my, uh, a lot of what I've done in my free time is just helping connect startup founders to investors anyways. Um, it's just been more recently that I've kind of proactively tried to um, find ways of getting into or, or just being part of those deals financially myself. I wouldn't say that I've got a really strong thesis. A lot of my investments are um, early stage into companies. And so you just don't have a huge amount of data points there. And, uh, but like, I think one of the things that you, um, that you start to see is you just get a sense of, um, sense of the company, but also the founder at the very early stages, you know, the business is going to change a lot. And what you just want is great sort of fundamentals of the business and great, um, a great idea in execution and hopefully some traction in place. But what you're really looking to back is the founder. And so a lot of what I'm looking for is just the type of founder that I think um, will run through walls and find a way to make this work. Um, and, you know, will they be the type of person that will build an amazing culture? Will they be the type of person that will be able to attract great talent? Um, because I think it's relatively easy to, uh, to get a little bit of traction uh, in place. It actually takes a lot to build a lot of uh, like a successful business um, plus a huge amount of luck as well along the way. So, um, but the core thing that I sort of look for, um, I wouldn't really call it a thesis. I don't think I've, I've got necessarily a thesis, but um, the biggest thing for me is just, um, yeah, just trying to find great founders who I think are really deeply passionate about that problem and have been able to demonstrate with limited resources around them that um, they're able to just hustle and get things done and just attract amazing people around them. Because I think, you know, again, to your earlier point about compounding with, with the podcast and with guests, I think it's, it's a very similar model as well when it comes to building a business. Yeah. And, and we've also noticed on your LinkedIn that while, while you're doing the sort of investing, you're doing the podcast, you've had businesses working at AWS, a lot of things. How do you manage your time and just, I guess, your health in general um, in terms of sleep and mindset just when doing so many different activities? According to my mum, not very well. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of really helped me is just um, just being very deliberate with managing my time. So I, I try and put structures in place in terms of, you know, having particular days to launch the podcast, for example, and just reverse engineering that. So I know how much time it will take me to do the edit, which means that I need to start the edit at a particular time and, and kind of developing systems and processes around that. Um, I can't say that I have a great balance when it comes to, to everything. And there are particular weeks or months where, things tend to get skewed but um you know one of the books that i um that it has been really helpful for me is reading atomic habits um it's the first book that's been able to put into um in a very structured and cohesive way a lot of the way that i've like lived my life um especially in the last few years where i've 
had to be a lot more focused on execution and, and trying to balance everything. Um, but, you know, little things like, um, you know, ensuring that I go on runs two days a week, um, for example, and just kind of having particular habits that you build up. Um, you won't notice everything from day one, but, you know, over a period of months and hopefully years, you will see the, the big kind of impacts of those changes. So, um, yeah, with me, it's, it's actually just um, trying to find the right balance, but just trying to develop the right habits around things that I think are really, really important and critical. Yeah. And kind of as a follow on to that, do you think your mindset is kind of different to when you were in your early 20s? I'm such a different person uh, to when I was in my early, early twenties. Um, definitely all through, all through uni. Like, uh, yeah, I, yeah, there, there, there's a, a really, really big, big change. I think that the biggest change for me was I, um, I'm the type of person who's either all into something or nothing, uh, or it's nothing. And I think for a large part of university or in my early twenties, I hadn't quite found what I was really passionate about and so I didn't really have a direction and um, I wasn't wasn't really that motivated uh, didn't really have like that much I was just yeah I, I, I was just like floundering I guess um, I think that the biggest change was for me was just kind of finding the startup space and finding other people that were similar to me and just like having having a direction having some form of I don't know if you want to call it a purpose but like knowing what I wanted to do uh, just helped put um, all of the pieces together. Um, and so that's helped. So yeah, I, I don't think that I, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I would have ever thought about process and structure and building habits and all those sort of things. Like I would have thought that they were extremely boring, but uh, you know, I think over time, like when you, when you kind of find the thing that helps you get out of bed and, and is the kind of thing that you can't stop thinking about, um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's, if you're lucky enough to have that, uh, I think that's, that's amazing. And, um, you know, it, it, for me anyways, it helped kind of change a lot of who I was um, into who I am now. And I'm curious, what is it at the core that you are passionate about? So we sort of feel like you've found your vision now. What would you say it is? And you can't just say startups. <laughs> yeah, it won't be like, so I think startups is just a vehicle for it. I think, yeah. um, you know, I think the things that I really like are people being able to create, to be creative and problem solve and not really have any limitations on that. So, you know, you spoke a little bit about, you know, did I ever think about a linear career path and all of those sort of things? I think I really struggle in that type of structure in that environment. Like I want to know that there are no limitations um, like I'm comfortable with risk and I'm comfortable with failing. I just don't want to feel like there's a ceiling or I need to have to go through approvals to get to the next stage or all of those sort of things. And so um, I think the the big thing for me with startups is that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're starting your first company in your fifties through, you know, kind of bunch of domain expertise or you're in your early twenties and have this great idea for something that you're building. Um, what it really comes down to is your ability to execute. Um, and I think that something like, like I said, startups for me is just a framework of that. Like it kind of um, allow, it creates an opportunity for anyone who is willing to put in the work um, and wants to, you know, wants to follow their idea um, to go out and, and execute. But also I think the people that it attracts um, is unique, like people who are super ambitious, uh, people who are willing to help, um, people who want like, think about things from a 
perspective of, you know, how to like one plus one equals three versus thinking that, you know, I bet I've, I better not tell someone about this because they're going to, you know, steal something away from me as well. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a combination of different things, but um, I think startups is all encompassing of that because of the type of environment and the type of people that it attracts. So I don't know if that's really like a mission, but it's just an area that I think um, has helped channel me um, and just like brings me energy. So I thought I'd stick around for a while. Have you, cause this is something that I personally feel is that doing all these podcasts in my other job, I was working with a lot of different kind of startups in schools um, do you ever feel like you're kind of a mile wide, but not too deep in anything? And is that something you've ever struggled with? Sorry, you just cut out for a second, Sachin. I didn't oh, yeah, so um, my question was that this is something I've personally struggled with and something I think about, especially with me and Adam's ambition of this VC fund, is do you ever feel like talking to all these people and researching their companies and their lives and also in your day job that you're a mile wide, but not like really deep onto one thing? Um, yes. Yeah, I, I do. But I think that's, I think I prefer it that way as well. So, uh, you know, actually had, had a conversation with someone recently uh, for the podcast that's hopefully getting published next week um, around something very similar. And we were both saying that, uh, you know, the type of people that we are, we like, um, we don't want to, um, we're not the type of people who will spend, you know, 80 hours a week to get 2% better at something. We like making an impact and moving the needle, uh, but doing it across multiple different different things. And so part of what I sort of realized from like stage label, as, as I said, part of the learning is, you know, kind of better understanding what are the things that actually bring me happiness and what are the things that I actually enjoy um, and what is the right environment structure that I kind of create in. And so I know that there are particular people that say you have to focus on one thing and go really deep. And other people say it's important to be a generalist and you know, be across a bunch of different things. And personally, like, I think they're both right, but I think that they're right for different people. Mm. Um, and so I think it's just important for you to um, understand what it is that, um, that drives you. What's the thing that makes you happy? What are the, th what's the thing that comes naturally to you and just focus more on, on that versus taking advice that actually goes against the grain of like who you are as a person, because it's just not going to be effective long-term. Yeah. I think that's interesting. It's really good advice. Yeah. Um, so if we can move into the quick fire questions. Yeah. Sure. So basically something we do with all of our guests is that we ask them four quick fire questions just to understand a bit about things that have influenced them. So they'll just be 30 seconds um, back to back. Are you good with that? 30 seconds in total or 30 seconds? No, for each one. <laughs> okay, cool. Okay. So first thing I'd like to ask you, what's one of your favorite books and why? already mentioned atomic habits i think yeah. that's probably going to be the book that i most recommend to people yeah uh what's another book that i really liked i'm a big fan of a guy named david goggins he's an yeah, absolute he's an him. absolute psycho but uh, <laughs> i'm such a great. fan of him such <laughs> a fan of him. he's also incredible to his audiobook is incredible to listen to while you're running like it was, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. what's one of your favorite podcasts and why and it can't be either of ours <laughs> Um, favorite podcast. So startup related, I would say, um, Reed Hoffman's podcast masters of scale yeah. is really good. Um, we did a podcast before this and they uh, recommended the exact same one. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's got a, an amazing team around him that kind of helps him and also just his networks are ridiculous. 
Um, but outside of, uh, outside of business, like I try, I'm so deep into startups all of the time that I try and make sure that I do things outside of startups and, and the startup world. So uh, for anyone that knows me, I'm a huge, like obsessive Liverpool fan. Uh, and so there's a, a YouTube channel called Red Men TV um, that has podcasts and they do a bunch of videos and stuff. So if anything, I probably listen to and view a lot more of their content than, than anything else. <laughs> cool. Um, who's a figure that you really look up to and why? Ooh, who's a figure that I really look up to? Um, that's a really tough question. This is a really tough, I mean, like, I'm, I'm going to take like the cop out Indian child answer and say my parents, uh, because, um, you know, I, I think we kind of talk a lot about taking a risk as a, you know, um, in Australia and like, actually we have a huge safety net. When my parents came to Australia, they were moving at a time when like my dad didn't have a job. They, um, you, they didn't know anyone and they were like literally just going somewhere new without having anything in place. Uh, and to me, like, you know, if you talk about taking risks, like that is such a bigger risk than quitting a job for a few years um, to try and to try and start a business. So, um, yeah, I think for me, my parents have, uh, you kind of spoke a lot about like, you know, where, like what shaped who I am, like watching my parents in their own ways, um, you know, being the people that they are and taking the, some of the good lessons out of that um, has helped. Awesome. Um, last quick fire question. When all of your work is done for the day, what will we find you doing? When all my work is done for the day? Um, depends. If it's podcast editing, it's actually quite late in the day, so I don't have many options. But um, what, do I, what do I like doing? So if I haven't gone for a run that day, like it will probably be a run or uh, just hanging out and chilling out with friends. Um, yeah. You know, I, uh, it doesn't really matter what I do as long as I'm around good people. Um, I'm, I'm usually having a good time. So one awesome. of the two. Awesome. And yeah, um, we like to finish our podcast by just asking, is anything across your kind of diverse experiences that you would leave our audience who are mostly university students or kind of young people, people early in their career with? Uh, yeah, so I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, this is something that I, I heard a lot in high school from my, um, from my headmaster, but like, I had no idea what he meant. Um, but he, he always talk, spoke about taking safe risks. And um, yeah, I, I never really quite kind of got the concept of that, but I think I have a much better understanding of it now. Uh, you know, I think it's, especially in our early 20s, and especially like in the context of Australia, I think, you know, we measure success by working at a big four or working in an investment bank or those sorts of things. Um, and oftentimes they're not actually what we want to do. And it's more for other people than for ourselves. Um, but I think especially early in your career, there is a much lower opportunity cost and a much better um, potential for growth and like completely changing the trajectory of your career by taking those risks earlier on. Um, you know, worst case, uh, things don't quite work out. You can always come back and do what you were doing before and you've maybe lost a year or two, um, which in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to work till you're 60, what's a year or two? Um, but 
uh, yeah, I, I just think that, you know, a lot of people kind of prevent themselves. They, they know what they want to do and they have kind of dreams and ambitions to, to do stuff. Like, I love the fact that you guys are so open about launching a fund. Um, I have no idea how old you guys are, but I, I take it you're, you're quite young. Uh, and I think it's, it's awesome that you're sort of, um, you know, have a very clear, uh, clear goal of what you're trying to achieve and are just so open about it um, because I think that will just help you attract um, attract the right sort of people around you to, to do that as well. And I just, yeah, I hope that kind of anyone listening to this podcast kind of takes that as a, as a great example of just um, figuring out what they, what they really want and um, trying to figure out how they can, how they can make that work. Yeah. I really like the articulation of that safe risk because yeah. it sounds like an oxymoron, but it's something that me and Sachin talk about a lot. Um, things that have huge amount of potential upside, but very, very limited downside. Like some of the things that we might put into that category is reaching out to someone for a coffee, uh, starting mm -hmm. a podcast, starting a business. Like at this age, there's no opportunity cost, but the upside is really limitless. Yeah, and exactly. And I think also um, coming back to what you said about migrant families, I think that our parents, and particularly for me, my grandparents, they've worked so hard to create a safety net. So I always have this conversation with my grandma is like, you've worked this hard, why not let your grandkid kind of take advantage of that safety net by taking some risks? Because by mm -hmm. definition, otherwise you're just working into perpetuity of having this ever increasing safety net of kind of societal norms of what you're meant to do big four, as you said. But I think that if you have that, and as we, a lot of us do in Australia, I think it's really important to acknowledge that and then think about, um, as Gary Vee says in your early thirties, uh, so early twenties, everything before you do, Everything before you, everything you do before your 30s is a test run. And I think that's um, a pretty interesting concept. But thank you very much, Rohit. That was an awesome episode. Yeah, um, it was great talking to you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. All right. Thanks, mate.